Hello, everybody. This is Noah and John, and we are from Urban Digs. And Johnny, we're going to do a nice little talking Manhattan here. And we got Bruce Martin, who is a 25-year, 25 years in the credit markets, 30 years in the industry. He is a founding partner of Still Lake Capital, which is a private partnership slash kind of a hedge fund, knows everything about the industry. I, I couldn't find a better time to talk about rates, yeah. the Fed, and, and what that ultimate impact is going to be on the economy because we're right in it. So, Bruce, thank you so much for joining us. I want to get right into it. Our audience is mostly professional real estate brokers in the New York City area, and they're um, expected to know what's going on with the markets for their buyer and seller clients. So let me first ask you straight out, we are in a rising interest rate environment. How does that impact the larger economy? There's, there's probably at least three ways that come to mind. And I always think of it from a company's perspective and then how that leaks into the economy. So I have been investing, even though I've done credit for 25 years, I've been doing nothing but stocks for the last seven years. And so one company I own stock in, they have a billion dollar, let's call it a bond. They need to refinance it. That bond was at 5%, probably going to mm -hmm. cost them eight and a half percent now because it's a spread over treasuries. So that extra on a billion dollar bond, that's $35 million more that that company is going to spend on interest and not on capital expenditures. This is a growing company. So all their free cash flow, they're investing in, this is a golf company, they're investing in big golf sites, but probably will build one less site next year. And for that town and for those people, that's less employees, that's less jobs, that's less equipment they're buying. So if you're a supplier of equipment to them, all of a sudden you've got, it, it just dampens everything. More money that's going to pay for interest is less for them. Commercial, now companies don't have to borrow money. So that's, that's only true for those who borrow money, although a lot of companies borrow money. Commercial real estate, if you listen to Barry Sternlicht, who's one of the biggest builders of commercial real estate, what he's flipped out about and what makes sense is if you're building a hotel today or an office today or any commercial real estate, if that project is a quarter done, half done, three quarters done, you're not stopping that project. Nobody right. wants a building to stop. But what he will tell you is there's no way they're starting any new projects because the financing for those projects is way too expensive. Rates have gone up much quicker. If you think about it for multifamily housing, rates have gone up much quicker than rents can go up or have gone up. And so if you own a commercial multifamily building, your cost of capital, you're borrowing probably two thirds, three quarters of, of the capital to build that building. That cost just went up significantly and your rents are sitting there and they're locked in for a year. And if your knee jerk answer is, well, we'll just double the rent next year, good luck. If you're paying anybody who's paying those rents today, they're gonna leave if those rents double. And so the commercial real estate market's already in a lot of pain. There's been tons of articles written and you see it on the debt side, equity guys are handing over the keys, CNBS market's in trouble, nobody's making new loans. One of the bigger lenders is Brightspire. If you listen to their call, they're just hoarding liquidity. So what that means for the economy, these buildings will be built over the next year, year and a half. But a year, year and a half from now, all those jobs, all the guys building those buildings, they're out of work. All the steel, all the concrete, all the carpets, all the tiles that are being purchased, those purchases are gonna stop because commercial real estate is going to stop in its tracks. One other quick area, you know, banks, banks can't keep up with the treasury market on their deposits. I don't know about you guys, but if anybody who has meaningful money in a bank 
and has a little bit of financial sophistication has probably moved that money out of the bank, maybe into Fidelity, probably just into short-term treasuries or some other funds that are being more aggressive. And so banks, they either have to raise their deposit rates materially, which means they're going to have to raise their loans materially in terms of rate, which means people are going to borrow less or not be able to afford what they're doing. So all of it has a severe dampening effect. I think as Buffett said a long time ago, rising rates have a gravitational pull on stock prices. And a lot of those things I just mentioned are big reasons. Those are, you asked about the economy. Those are about the economy. Right. Talk about security prices, but it's a different, it's a different question. So I don't want to, I don't want to get ahead. Yeah. And, and you know what? I mean, I, I was just noticing short-term three-month T-bill rates at 5% today and thinking it's a great trade to, to park some money for a couple of months. I actually just did it myself this morning. I was talking to Johnny. I think those short-term interest rates kind of maybe have peaked and may have to come down, but we do have an inverted yield curve. We do have short-term interest rates higher than long-term interest rates. And that typically does, over history, predict a, a looming recession. And you just kind of intricated how, how this trickle-down effect of rising rates ultimately leads to that. Would you say that we're in this position because of all the liquidity and stimulus that was pumped into the markets as a result of the pandemic, and now they're just taking it all back? So there's, in my personal opinion, I thought Powell was not a particularly tough Fed chairman under Trump, and I feel like he, he allowed himself to be bullied to go way too low on rates. When Trump was screaming, our rates should be zero, they're negative in Europe. And he sort of cowered to that in my mind, unless he really believed it. But I don't think any respectable Fed chairman should have ever thought that zero rates was a good idea. It's just, it's, so they went too low. Are they trying to make up for that? Yes. And again, this is not a, a knock on Powell's character, but I will say his, he, he, he drives a car in a way that I wouldn't want to be in the car. He's either too hard on the brake or too hard on the pedal, on the gas. And it's like, just take it easy. These things take time. You said we have an inverted yield curve. That's an understatement. We have the worst inverted yield curve we've had since 1981. That's enormous. You're talking about 100 basis points. We haven't had that in an incredibly long time. And by the way, the last time we had it, it didn't just lead to a recession. It led to the longest recession we've ever had. Right. So Bruce, let me follow up on that because it's a very interesting point, right? And the idea is that as rates rise, you're going to want to de-risk and that means pulling money out of equities. And generally that signals equities are going to fall. However, we haven't quite seen that yet. We're in an inverted yield curve environment. Rates have risen really far, really fast. And, you know, we bottomed out in October and we've kind of just been, you know, ticking around and we haven't seen any kind of meaningful decline in equities. And I'm wondering, you know, why are equities sort of defying gravity at this point? I'm almost laughing. I'm smiling to myself. The market always moves way earlier and way more than people expect it to. So you just said, why hasn't the market done anything? The market was down 20% last year. Now it's trickled back up a little bit so far this year. I wrote in my letter because people are like, was that it? I'm like, in, in previous bubble pops, the market has gone down about 40% from peak to trough. So I said in my, in my fourth quarter letter, it's very possible we've only done half of it. It's very possible mm -hmm. that last year's 20% drop was only half the pain, but it's a random walk. It doesn't mean we're going to be down 20% this year. We could be down 10. We could be down 10 again next year. We might not drop 40. I, I actually think we probably will because some of the expensive stocks are still very expensive. 
but the market's always way ahead of it. I remember back in the last, in the, in the meltdown of 2008-9, the market recovered nine months. It had a massive rally at least nine months before companies started reporting much better numbers. And I remember people on the outside saying, what does the market see that we don't see? I'm like, the market's projecting the future. It already went too far down in that time period. And so it was recovering. Last year, it gets scared. When the market gets scared, it overreacts both directions. When it gets excited, it overreacts. And so, but it's not just straight. It doesn't just happen and then it's done. It's a bit of a roller coaster ride. So be patient. If you want to see more pain, it's probably coming. Yesterday didn't feel so good. Last week didn't feel so good. Last year was terrible. Yeah. You know, I, I always look at stocks as like an imperfect future discounting mechanism, trying to price in these things that you're talking about. And you're right, sometimes they'll go a little too far and they'll have to normalize. I also sometimes think stocks, they're bipolar. Sometimes they're reactive. Sometimes they don't price in. Sometimes they're more reactive. And I'm, I, I mean, I'm looking at, at the Fed and their terminal rate. You know, since last May is when I think there was regime change at the Fed and everyone's like, all right. Powell's actually going to do it. He's actually going to raise rates and this is actually going to happen. That's when that terminal spiked up and started everything. The terminal rate hit 5.1 in December, peaked out, came down over, the, over a couple of months. We, we kind of thought that it was over. That was the terminal rate. But now in the last couple of weeks, that terminal rate's back up to five and a half. The Fed funds rates at four and a half. So now they're expecting hundred basis points. Do you think five and a half terminal rate is where we're going to end this? Or do you think that's still pushing up higher? I mean, the most candid answer anybody can give you is nobody knows, right? If I was Powell, what Powell did yesterday freaked people out, right? He, he, had, he had dropped to 25 basis point raises in the previous meeting from 50. Everybody thought that was the beginning of the end. We might have three, four more 25 bit rises, although I think after the last one, they thought maybe one or two more. So, and then the big pivot word, like, and then they'll stop and then they're gonna actually cut rates. That's why you have an inversion, right? Longer dated treasuries are telling you they're gonna end up cutting. But yesterday he said, no, we may even go 50 again. So he's making people very uncomfortable. And, and, and part of the reason, it's a little off topic, but I love analogies so much that I have to sneak one in. It's like he's giving the market medicine, mm -hmm. but he's not waiting to see if it works. Envision yourself at a table hmm. with a upperclassman when you're a freshman and he gives you a shot, you know, it's your first year of college and you do the shot and he's like, you drunk? And you're like, well, no, he gives you another shot. You drunk? Well, no. And you could probably sit there and do six, eight really uncomfortable amount of shots before it actually hits you. And then when it hits you, it's going to take a long time. And that's the pain of the recession. And that's my, my issue with Powell is like, slow down on the serving. Let, let it take effect. You don't raise rates and then next month go, gee, we still have 8% inflation. Like, just doesn't happen that quickly. Right. And so when you look at that, that, the, that sort of milieu of, of what the Powell's regime has done, they've kind of raised rates. They're not, they're not necessarily pausing. In fact, they're signaling they're going to go even higher. You know, when you look back at the equities market, how do you assume that the equities are going to sort of, I don't want to say perform, but how are the equities absorbing these rate rises, knowing that there's, you know, as Noah said, that, that terminal rate keeps hiking up? Well, when you say how are they absorbing it? So again, the, the equity market, there, there's the market as a whole, then there's different segments, right? I would assume a segment that's going to be in a lot of pain will be the commercial real estate segment, particularly office, just because it has a perfect storm when you combine work from home with this. 
but even multifamily where again rents can only go so high to yeah. catch up with so so you're gonna have a big problem i think in the commercial real estate so that's you know commercial real estate REITs which is a part of the stock market you know other parts of the stock market have really got hammered last year but again i wrote in my letter unfortunately those stocks were so inflated that even though a lot of them were down 80, 85%, they still weren't cheap. Now, I'm not making predict predictions on stocks, but you picture a company like Tesla, which is an easy one to get your head around. If you look at the financials, you know, traditionally the stock market discounts over time, right? Buffett will tell you it's, it's a weighing machine over time. It's a voting machine in the near term. And in the near term, when voters are scared, they just run, right? And so they sell. But when you have real rates, when you have real alternatives, when you can buy something at 5% and that's all of a sudden your discount rate, not zero, the, the pressure on stocks can be enormous. So right. the, I guess the question is what sectors will do well? You, know, you want businesses that don't have debt. You want businesses that have products that you know, need to be consumed. Booze and food are usually pretty good ones. You would think energy would be doing great, but it's not. And one of the reasons is it is a it's a global commodity priced in dollars across the globe. Every time we raise rates, the U.S. dollar spikes higher relative to every other currency. So if the U.S. dollar is up thirty percent, even if the oil price is unchanged, oil's up thirty percent everywhere else in the world, right? And so. Yeah. There's so many things at play, which goes back to what I was saying about Powell, which is just slow down, buddy, because you don't know how this is going to impact over time. Let it lay in before you keep going higher. I met with real estate guys, commercial real estate guys towards the end of last year, November. And I said, if the Fed goes to 5%, are we okay? And they were like, mm, if it stays there for a short period of time, we're probably okay, but not if it stays there for a long period of time. I said, what if it goes higher? What if it goes to six? They were like, our entire market blows up. Now, this was what they said last November. I think Blackstone said this morning they're expecting six. So, uh, uh, yeah. Unpalatable question. I expect six as well. I, I think they're going to go up. I think that this inflation thing is going to be a little sticky. I hope I'm wrong. I kind of thought it was going to be at six even before this move to five and a half lately. It's only 50 basis points away. You know, Bruce, do you think Powell is creating or waiting for demand destruction to pivot? Because I kind of feel like he wants, mm -hmm. to, he wants to break something. And then when he breaks something, that's when the pivot's going to come. I agree with you that, that there's going to be a big rate cut campaign at some point down the cycle, but we have to get through that pain to get to that point. The, the, again, the problem with Powell is he really doesn't do nuance. I, I miss in my earlier days when Alan Greenspan would talk, my buddies and I would sit around at work and we'd listen and we loved it. We would get off the call and be like, I have no idea what he said. Thank God he's the Fed chairman, right? <laughs> so yeah, Powell's the opposite. He's telling you I'm data dependent and I'm telling him what I just told you about the college kids sitting at the table. I go, you keep looking too quickly for the result. Just take it easy, slow down. I'm not saying you're not right. He's like, no, we got to break. Inflation's at eight. I don't want it to be more than two. I'm like, okay, but do you have a time frame on that? Do you want to give it six months or a year and see how your rates worked out before then reevaluating? Or are you just going to keep jacking up every month? Because that's what kills markets and economies. It shocks to the system. 
It's what yeah. kills car, car rides, right? Turbulence. Yeah, and I think in 2008, 2009, right? I mean, you had Bernanke. I mean, I, I think a lot of what was thrown at his shoulders was more than what was asked of any other Fed. So he, number one, had to talk about the Fed more cleanly. He also had to talk about the dollar, which, you know, as you know, Greenspan would always defer to the Treasury Department. He wouldn't want to pine on that. So the Fed's now giving more information than ever. And they're, they're really kind of, you know, putting that spin on it, of which, in which case, you're right. It, it, it starts that risk starts leaking into the system in a much more material way. And I know we're sort of, you know, running short on time here. And so I guess the question is, I, I really want to get back to that commercial real estate aspect, because I think that's, it's really interesting. Because when you think about, you know, commercial real estate lives and dies by the cap rates. And as that risk-free treasury rate increases, right? Well, what happens to cap rates? Well, they start, they start going, they start going up. And if you're, if you're trying to price something at a 2% cap rate, because, you know, money, money is free, that's a, that's a nice high price. But as soon as that risk-free rate rises or rises to five and your cap rate now has to be six to accommodate for it or seven, that's an enormous hit on your price. And, and I'm wondering, you know, the balance sheet for some of these REITs and just the, the entire commercial real estate sector seems to be sort of, you know, on a bit of a linchpin here. It's upside down. I don't think there's any question about it. So the, so the only question is how long can they wait you know, upside down, you can be upside down for a while. Like even picture your house, right? I bought it at a million. It's now worth 800,000. But if you wait 10, 15 years, you may get back above there. Like these are long cycles. Yeah. Commercial real estate cycles, the buildings last a lot longer, but the markets don't. Most guys will make quote unquote transitional loans to commercial real estate investors for three years, four years. And the idea is the real estate will increase in value as they invest in it. And then they'll refi into a better loan. Well, those loans are all going to be stuck, not going to be able to refi into anything. So again, when I say upside down, it means the equity's gone. Now, if you're a lender, there's a, there's, it's not a funny joke on Wall Street. It's just a reality. If you have one or two borrowers go bad, it's, it's their problem. It's the borrower's problem. If you have all your borrowers go bad, it's the lender's problem. And now yeah. you're, you're in heavy duty triage. So it's a mess. It's a, it's a war scene. It's a mess. It's going to take a long time. You know, back to Bernanke, he was the man for the moment. You had to tell the markets you knew what was going on in 08 or 09, mm -hmm. because even the president of the United States, I think, was quoted as saying, this sucker's going down. Nobody knew what was happening. I was on the front lines. It felt awful. So you wanted your Fed chairman to tell you he saw every single thing. He knew every nuanced market. We're not in that world today. Powell yeah. does, he, he actually looks very clumsy and clunky because he, he looks like sort of a zombie Frankenstein walking towards this one thing. And it's like that one thing, by the time you get close enough to see it, it's gonna be a hundred times bigger than you. And it's gonna crush all of us. Yeah, it looks like he's, he's, he's looking about credibility now of fighting this inflation and his, 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 uh, what, what they're gonna look at him after his regime is over. What is his legacy gonna be? I mean, look, this is not 0809. I agree with you. Credit spreads are not blowing out. Mortgage markets are not seizing up. Commercial paper market is not seizing up. This is, I get asked this all the time. Hey, no, is this the great financial crisis? It is not the great financial crisis. It is not even close to the great financial crisis. And let's not downplay the Fed, the playbook that they took in the pandemic was a direct result of what happened in the great financial crisis and what they did not do then and what they allowed to happen. So they have that, that knowledge that is impacting their, their, their moves today. Well, when uh, I say clunky, right? You know, you picture a, a football player practice, his head on a swivel, right? Okay, yeah. all of a sudden we're in a lockdown. We've never seen that before. I get it. 
everybody wants to react. The government's throwing all these loans out. There's money being printed everywhere. The Fed's cutting. Again, yeah. let's see what happens. Six months later, we're like, all right, not terrible. And then you got to ease back up. But again, once Frankenstein starts going, he's going. And he doesn't yeah. seem to know how to stop. And now he's going the other way. And yeah, it's I, just I, making things unnecessarily turbulent. That's all, yeah, that's all I, I can say. You not to mention it. that we have a, a handful of unknown unknowns out there. I mean, China still hasn't fully reopened, and that's going to be a massive question box as well. So, yeah. and well, let, let alone the protectionists. But I'll give you one, maybe one last thought to think of, but it's just going to, I don't know if it'll spook you. I don't know if you guys know who James Grant is, you know, interest rate observer. Yeah, the observer. He, yeah. He's relevant again, right? Everybody wants to hear from him. And I heard a interviewer podcast with him last year, and I, I was trying to find it. I can't find it. But he said in, in 4,000 years of interest rate history, we have never, ever had an increase this big, this fast. And he said, by definition, we have no idea what's going to happen as a result of that. And so yeah. that's sobering. And I mean, if, you, if Powell like listens to anything else, just listen to that. You don't need to go slay some dragon called inflation that's running away. You need to, you, you already fired a bunch of bullets, take a knee, and let's see what happens for a while. Yeah. Just so for those listening, what Bruce is talking about is these policy, these policy decisions to raise rates and, and QT quantitative tightening their balance sheet, removing liquidity from the system. It takes um, a lot months or years to funnel through the economic system. It is not an immediate direct impact on the markets. So all of the moves that they did thus far is yet to play out in, in the in the damage it might do in the next six to 10 months. And that's what Bruce is talking about. Bruce, Bruce, we're going to wrap up here. I, I think you nailed it that Powell, he, he steps on the accelerator too much or he steps on the brake too much. It's one or the other kind of a thing. There's no kind of ease in between it. But I look, again, our target audience here is real estate brokers who are talking to buyers, sellers, investors, developers in New York City real estate markets. Given what you're seeing right now and given the conversations we had today, how does all, all of this, what, why does all of this matter to that group in New York City? How does it correlate and string back down to the real estate markets and, and why they should be paying attention to this kind of stuff. So, so we, didn't, we didn't talk much about work from home, but, but I would say the, 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 the concern in bigger cities, and New York City is probably the biggest example, is buildings aren't bringing in as many people, right? The turnstiles are spinning Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday like they used to, but they're not on Monday and Friday. People are working from home. If they're not in the city five days, the businesses that service those people, the restaurants, they're not making as much money. So that's, that's two problems there. One is your favorite restaurant may not make it, and that changes the dynamic in Manhattan. The other issue is the city is not getting the tax revenues. So taxes may go up to try and maintain services, which is going to be extremely difficult with only three-fifths of the time people are in. And if you have a city like New York with less services, think less police, less protection, less restaurants, less reason to be there, it's a risk. So I think from a longer term perspective, not next month, not this year, but that's what you have to think about for the next five years. doesn't mean we're going to get there. I'm too young to know what, what the early 70s were like in Manhattan. I, I hear people talk about it all the time. Like, oh, we're going back to that. It was just a gritty city. I don't know. I have no idea. It makes sense, right, given, given everything I just laid out. But I don't know if that will happen. People are also sort of scratching their heads saying, I don't understand why real estate prices aren't really tanking, not commercial, but residential. And again, 
people who already own homes have already refinanced. Those mortgages are kind of locked in for the most part. So that hasn't hit people in the teeth yet. You're probably seeing a massive slowdown in transactions <clears throat> because new buyers, especially new home buyers, they can't get the financing. When you're talking about something like Manhattan real estate, perhaps, and somebody's going to buy an apartment for a million, two million, it's probably a high net worth person who's not borrowing money anyway. And so, you know, all of these things will all circle up. But I do think there's a little bit of freezing going on. You're seeing investment banks, for example, lay off tons of M&A bankers because it's very hard to do transactions with all this current uncertainty. And you may be seeing that in the real estate markets. There's, there's a paucity of transactions because there's all this uncertainty. So if the question is, do you pounce on that or not? You know, everyone's got to decide. I, I always like to buy real estate I know I'm going to use, right? We bought a house in 2009 in a short sale out in Montauk because we knew we were going to use it. But by the way, we put in a bid. The market had come down a little. We put in a bid down here. It got hit and the market came down here. Yeah. So you could right. be in that holding pattern. I don't know. You guys know your market better than I do. I haven't looked for real estate in Manhattan. But usually that's what happens. I have seen in real estate. First prices freeze for a while. Then reality kicks in because somebody hits a bid that somebody was bold enough to make, maybe a couple to, and now you've got a reset. But if you're buying something that you're going to live in for 10, 20 years, it doesn't really matter if you can afford it today and enjoy it. Yeah, I love the gap down bid hit. We talk about it all the time. We're traders as well, me and John. So, so we always use that lingo. I'm a contrarian investor. So if this market goes down, Manhattan real estate has proven when it gets that gap down bid hit, it's those, it's those bold bidders that are putting that bid in when there's blood on the streets and there's no liquidity. Um, they're ending up pretty well at the end of the day after the cycle plays out. If it tells you anything, I sold that Montauk property last year, the one we bought in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. you. You always, once a trader, always a trader, Bruce. I, I hear you. But, um, but, but we're not using it anymore also. So it happened to work out well timing-wise. My kids are older, but you know, it served its purpose. I love it. This has been fantastic. Thank you for giving us 20 minutes and a glimpse into what you're seeing and sharing your thoughts for our industry. Bruce Martin, you are a managing member of Still Lake Capital, and I appreciate you taking the time. That is John Walkup. I am Noah Rosenblatt. We're both of Urban Digs. This has been Talking Manhattan, and we'll catch you next time.